1982, Bruce Springsteen was a capital R rocker. On the albums Greetings from Asbury Park and the Wild, The Innocent and the East Street Shuffle, he was a proto-Dylan, sly, scruffy street rocker. On Born to Run, he was the grand anointed future of rock and roll rocker. On Darkness on the Edge of Town, he was the Heartland's post-punk before punk rock even broke rocker. And on the river, he was the nostalgic for his 20s while he was barely in his 30s, 1960s sensation rocker. And in 1984, he would return to reclaim his capital R rocker throne with Born in the USA, one of the biggest albums of the entire 1980s. But in 1982, Springsteen wasn't rocking or rolling. He was instead abruptly and serendipitously changing direction. Today, on Louder Than Sound, we discuss Bruce Springsteen's 1982 classic, Nebraska. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Hello and welcome once again to Louder Than Sound. I'm Charlie with my brother Jake to take a look at some albums from our deep, deep record collections uh, explored in different ways. We have themes for each, al- for each uh, episode, and this theme, like last episode, is on transition albums. I covered Elsa Suarez, Woman at the End of the, edge of the, end of the World, <laughs> and Jake has taken a look at Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, both albums that found these artists moving in very different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, we both, Jake talked a little bit last time about some some uh, artists he thought about doing and didn't quite do. And um, it is interesting. There's a lot of transition albums out there. There's a lot of artists that just kick things out and try to do something different and try to move. A lot of them come back where they were before, like you just said, Bruce Springsteen does. You know, he ends up kind of more or less coming back where he was before. But yeah. taking this one that's really out there. Um, like I said, I did Elsa Suarez, but I came really close to doing uh, Talking Heads Remain in Light, which is right. a. That's like a huge transition right, album. That's right. one of those very famous ones. Talking about For one sure. of the biggest albums of the 80s. That's another one. Um, I thought a lot about Elliot Smith's XO, mm-hmm. where he went for a bigger band sound and bring out, brought in uh, multiple instruments. And the one that I came closest to doing was Arcade Fire's Reflector, yeah. which is my controversial <laughs> favorite Arcade Fire album. Unbelievable. Which Jake does not I don't understand like. it. Yeah, I know I you like that album, but you don't love I don't, it. I don't, even know if, I don't even know if I, I like it. I don't even know if I like I it. it. You know, how can you... Oh, it just... I've tried. I've tried so many times. We're going to have it on the podcast at some point in the future. I well, promise. Well, you're darn right, I love that album. Yeah, well, get out of here. Love it! <laughs> I don't know. Stop oh. recording. I'll listen to it right now. Are we doing this right now? We can't do this right now. <laughs> we have other things to talk about. With my family, who also loves it. Yeah, whatever. Who cares about them? All right, Jake, but before we break up the band... Yep. Episode, <laughs> ...in our currently final episode, four episodes in... I hate you. <laughs> Instead, why don't you set us up and tell us a little bit about Bruce Springsteen's 
Nebraska. All right. Our first truly like this is our first truly like classic album. Yeah, like this is a this is an absolute this is an absolute yeah. classic. Um, Tom its closing time is well respected and pretty well known. Well, the sure. Were, we were pretty obscure, but ne- Nebraska's it's right. considered a, a classic. Right, and I did and I did hesitate to do it because you know yeah. our record collections are deeper than the classics. You know, we're not. Oh yeah. It's gonna be a while till we have like a Beatles album on here or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that'd be hard to do. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and and in so doing, let's let's just not spend too much time on Bruce Springsteen in an overall sense. Um, he's one of the most exhaustively covered and well-known rock musicians of the 20th and 21st century. He's like, he's he's been back since... Uh, he like, just announced a new album, didn't he? It's he did, album. yeah. And he, I liked his album that he put out last year uh, more than more than a few others before that. So he's probably like in the top 10 of, of biggest rock musicians ever. Maybe fi- top 15. I don't know. He's, he's way up there. Um, so I was just thinking about like, um, instead of giving his life story, you know, um, maybe just maybe just talking about some why or or how he so like hits a lot of people um, in different ways. But he he's kind of a he's almost like a Michael Jackson figure. He's like very uh, you know pan there's some you don't pan see popular. Very no, Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah. You know Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen. Well, sounds like Bruce Springsteen. You know, in the, like, yeah. But in terms of fame and celebrity. Yeah. You know, the 80s, it was Michael Jackson, it was Prince, it was Madonna, and it was Bruce Springsteen, like this kind of older white guy that just like went yeah. shooting right in there. He doesn't really belong with the other ones. He you know? doesn't, but he was as popular. I mean, no one was as popular as Michael Jackson, but he was up there. He was mm-hmm. huge. Um, so he was born and raised in New Jersey, um, and I think he's literally that state's uh, either mascot or favorite son or daughter, like... Uh-huh. You know, dude, I don't even. I'm pretty think, sure he's on the flag at this point. He's not. It's not even close. And I and I was trying to. I was struggling to think for another musician or even actor um, that is more beloved and identified with a certain state. You know, or we're talking like. I mean, we just mentioned Prince. I mean, he's more yeah. identified with the Twin Cities than the state. Yeah, but, but that's right. I mean, Minnesota. He's a very, a very much connected. With I think Minnesota. they painted the whole thing purple last year in tribute. The whole state. I'm the whole sure. state. Yeah, yeah. You we could see it from we, space. We we had to paint ourselves head to toe. Absolutely. Everyone and everyone, All was, of us. everyone was glad to do it. They were sure. And you don't want to do know it. how long it took to get the paint take, <laughs> to get the paint back off afterwards, okay? Uh, and right next door, uh, in our home state, we have uh, Justin Vernon from Bon Iver in Wisconsin, and Eau Claire in yeah. particular, which is, it's not as big as Prince, but come on. No. I mean, he has his whole thing in Eau Claire, which is crazy mm-hmm. to me. Uh, Elliot Smith in Oregon, particularly Portland. Uh, the Beatles lived in Texas and in California, too, I think. L.A. for a long time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Beatles in Liverpool. Ah. Yeah, that's one. They're, they're very, very close uh, to me. I had Dr. John, that, that, weird, that weird guy. He died not that long ago. And New Orleans, <laughs> uh, Louisiana. And I was thinking about that, uh, that cowboy silhouette uh, in his bucking bronco um, on the, on, in Wyoming. You know that guy that's on all their license plates. I hear he's I hear he's quite the yodeler. All right, they're chig. So, huh? <laughs> I'm gonna throw like there's a lot of uh, I think there's a lot of rappers very closely connected with their communities. Okay, I think like Jay Z, New York, in New York, yeah, New York City yeah, has. I mean, quite that a guy's like, and they're all like New York or LA. It seems like most that's of a good them, point. But, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, so, yeah SoCal yeah. and uh, you know Biggie and Tupac and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Uh, but the boss also became uh, the only thing that New York City and New Jersey could agree on. Because uh, Springsteen became an icon in New York City after 9-11. Um, he reunited with the E Street Band um, for the first time in, in, what, 12 or 13 years. Um, and their album, The Rising, and subsequent stadium tours uh, were sort of seen as, you know, salving the wounds of New, War- New Yorkers a little bit. So he crossed state lines, which I don't think is easy to do in that area. Uh, he's also heavily identified with the entirety 
of the United States of America, as he tells stories that seem to resonate with heartlanders, the poor, the classless, the downtrodden, as well as liberal coastal elites, um, which has been his political affiliation for quite some time. Uh, baby, hey, can I, yeah. I'm going to throw in a quick anecdote about him in America. Okay, can I can I get through this? Yeah, go. Okay, uh, he's also identified with baby boomers who used to have no money but now have plenty of money, but still remember listening to the boss when they had no money. <laughs> All right, you go ahead, and then I got my I got All my. All right, no, it goes thing. right along with this. All right, hit it. So I was living in Milwaukee when uh, Harley Davidson had its 100th anniversary, and this was this big deal. Yeah, sure. And Harley sure. Davidson sent her out of Milwaukee, so they had this gigantic celebration. <laughs> they were having this huge party. Thousands of people came, and they were have this big surprise guest. Uh-uh. A guest musician. No. And nobody knows it is. They refused to announce it. No, it wasn't. And everyone's like, but everyone's pretty like. I'm going to start screaming. Know, if you're a betting man, it's Bruce Springsteen. I mean, who else is it going to be? <laughs> come on, Bruce, come on, come on. Like, who else? Who else could it possibly be besides right. Bruce Springsteen? And they guaranteed it's an A-list, gigantic yeah. musician. <laughs> yes. And then all the people are there and they're ready to see what this giant guest is. And everyone knows it's Bruce Springsteen. They're like wearing their shirts and everything. Yeah. And instead, it's Elton John. Elton John? This is the thing that happened. No way. <laughs> yes. What? Yes. Yes. So, Jake, guess who did actually play the Harley Davidson 105th? anniversary celebration bon jovi oh i was gonna i was gonna go bon jovi i was thinking about like jovi might not have been like the uh the big uproar that elton john was elton john i mean read the room here guys come on wow well he started off as a rocker you know like he had saturday saturday nights all right for play everyone knew it was gonna be bruce springsteen and then somehow it was elton john and i don't know what happened that is a fantastic anecdote. Thank you. I thought it was. I, Thank I you. Was just saved it for you. I thought we were gonna do like John Cougar, Mellencamp, Bon Jovi, like a, a Springsteen, no. like a Springsteen light, you know, like a Springsteen imitator kind of. Well, I mean, at least they could have done that. At yeah. least. And everyone would have been like, oh, well, okay, I like that. I like, I like Bon Jovi. Let me throw like ZZ Top or somebody. You know, sure, like, sure, sure. Wow. Elton John. Elton okay. John. I mean, he's 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 big though. He's real big. Well, he isn't very big. I'm not saying he's not big. Well, yeah. I mean, don't stop saying he's not big. That's I'm all saying, I'm saying. I'm saying know your audience. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, this this will go right along here. Uh, uh, another thing that Bruce Springsteen, uh, another group of people that he's heavily identified with, and I don't think he wanted to be, um, is Reaganite America and certain re- yeah. Republican idealists as well, um, dealing as he does in that most magical acronym of all, USA. Start a little chant with me, Chaz. <laughs> USA. 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 Uh, one of his most famous songs is Born in the USA, off the album, you guessed it, Born in the USA, uh, which is a frankly distressing tale of a disenfranchised Vietnam vet returning to a country that does not understand him or care for him any longer. And this was yeah. used very famously by Ronald Reagan during his 1984 re-election campaign, um, because I guess uh, he said USA in the title, and it was extremely uh-huh. popular. Because people don't listen to the lyrics sometimes. And it sounded, uh, sounded it real... born in the USA, and that sounds great. And it sounded real American, and... Uh, it's like uh, Beastie Boys' Fight for Your Right to Party, which is yeah. totally making fun of everything involved right. with it. And people right. take it so seriously and, like, are fighting for their right to party. Well, you have... I mean, that's exactly what's happening here. But if you listen to the lyrics, USA. even one time, you realize they're just, like, taking the piss the entire the entire song. Yeah. Also the entire album, also their entire yeah. I think they could... They, <laughs> <laughs> they tried to live that one down for, for a while. <laughs> but it was their first hit. Uh-huh. Uh, but did you know, Chaz, that Born in the USA, the song 
was originally recorded as a demo during the same home recording sessions that produced the album Nebraska. No, I did not! And that it was a whole world darker and more ominous, as befits its lyrical content. In so fact, that been released? Did it come out on like a... It did. A box edition or it something? It did, yeah. yeah. It came out on tracks, which uh, I bought in high school. Um, I was a big, okay. big Springsteen fan in high school. In fact, despite the fact that Nebraska and Born in the USA could literally not be more different sonically, even though it's the same guy and songwriter, the two albums are linked inextricably and are almost the same album. Nebraska was only supposed to ever be demos for a new huge rock album with the E Street Band. Uh, they had come off 1980's The River, which included their first top ten hit in Hungry Heart, and they were looking to finally take the next step from relatively big and great touring act, and more importantly, a critically acclaimed one, to a massive band and rock-pop powerhouse. So spoiler alert, they succeeded wildly, but not until Born in the USA in 1984. In the, me in the meantime, Springsteen has said that the songs and demos that would eventually make up Nebraska were only recorded that way in his house on a TIAC four-track recorder because he felt he, was, he had been historically inefficient in the studio. He was telling, he was writing songs in the studio, gobbling up tons of money while they sat around and were like, hey, Bruce, you should write some songs. And he's like, okay, give, <laughs> give me a couple hours. Yeah, what, what and he hours? went and he wrote these great songs and he came back and he was struggling to teach the band how to play them in the studio. So he thought, well, if I can just be at home, write songs, put them on this cheap cassette, and bring him into the studio. Well, then you know we'll 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 uh, we'll save some time there. Um, <clears throat> and he could be you know he could be a little tyrannical in the studio as well. <laughs> he could be uh, he could a be a lot of artists. Yeah, he could be kind of a D in there. So he was like, I'm gonna just do everyone a favor and, and kind of shorten this process. Um, so the boss ended up recording between 16 and 17 songs in a matter of two days on his four-track, alone in his home studio, which I think was like his living room. Because uh, people didn't have home studios back then. Uh, the bulk, which was an incredible 15 tracks, were recorded in one day and night on January 3rd, wow. 1982. Um, so these consisted of spare and sparse arrangements um, that included acoustic guitar, electric guitar, harmonica, mandolin, glockenspiel, great instrument. Uh, I thought it was a xylophone. Oh, I didn't catch that. I glockenspiel, it was baby tambourine, organ, and synthesizer on only one of the tracks. There is an organ. I also heard organ on there. That's right. I heard the violin, too. I picked and, up on that. And Springsteen's golden, precious voice. Oh, Brucey. Never sang so good. <laughs> uh, he carried the tape that he recorded, the only one in existence at the time, around in his back pocket for weeks, playing it for the band and pouring over the songs uh, in his car with the sole intent of turning them into bangers with the band. Um, and before he and his manager uh, slash consigliere, John Landau, the <laughs> former Rolling Stone rock critic, whose relationship with Springsteen was very, very kismet, um, that decided that Nebraska should just be the demos, the E Street Band recorded 17 of them in full rock versions during Whoa. sessions posthumously called what? I will just do real quick multiple choice question for you here. All right. Okay, uh, what, maybe, what, are, what are these popularly known as? Okay. The full rock versions of the demos of uh, the songs that would be on Nebraska. Uh, we got uh, A, Electric Nebraska, B, South Dakota, C, Nebraska on Acid, sometimes shortened to Nebraska, or D, the Starkweather oh, Stark Sessions, which was the original name of the song Nebraska before he named it Nebraska. 
I'm going to say it's dark weather sessions. That's the best one, but it's not true. It's just plain old stupid electric Nebraska. Sorry. Oh, come on. <laughs> no. Come on, Bruce Springsteen fans. You could do better. <laughs> yeah, that's so all. Is there some, some sweet super deluxe edition of this album out there that has uh, all the stuff on it? We're going to get to that. There isn't, but I can't. I can't even believe it. I'm my my next paragraph here says super deluxe All right, edition. Go. So hold go, on. Go, hold, go, go. Hold on to your butts, okay? Just hold on to them. Um, so eight of those eight of those electric treatments would be re-recorded or generally spruced up for inclusion on Born in the USA. And okay. of the remaining nine of these electric Nebraska tracks, six are completely unreleased and have been purported by Springsteen and especially John Landau to never be available ever under any circumstances. Aww. But come on. Come on. Come on. Springsteen has a long and wonderful history with having albums under his belt that never came out. This has happened like several times to him. Um, full albums that he completely scrapped and started over. Uh, or were lost in bad management hell or whatever. And he's been very free and easy with putting these out over the years, including on career spanning comps as well as super deluxe editions of his classic albums. Especially The River has a has a very very cool super deluxe edition with like a whole lost this album or something on release it. a super deluxe i mean it sounds like you should combine nebraska and born to run into one super deluxe and, edition that and sounds like it makes sense this is what i'm saying so you do get it. i mean it's how cool. many how many what what could we do here like put some live stuff on there they were the biggest band in the world you know yeah, the biggest yeah. non-individual band in the world like you could have like you 10 discs the, on this thing you got the full you got nebraska just one disc you got Boom. all of the nebraska Re, stuff that yeah. didn't end up in the album Right. You got the whole full band editions of Born to Run. You got Born to Run. Right. And you got like a two disc live album. I think the six discs right there. And, and you could, I'm not even trying very hard. Yeah. You're not even you're not even doing it. You're just you're right. just you're just thinking like off the top of your head. You know? so, I'm not even a Bruce Springsteen fan, but I, we got to make this happen. I would buy that in a second, by the way. I mean, being a being a Bruce Springsteen fan, like, come on. And of course, the method the message boards um, are just. There's uh, a lot of desperate. A lot of <laughs> desperate. <laughs> like, what's happening? Why isn't this out yet? <laughs> You've done it for other albums. Why not this one? Uh, so, and sometimes happens. The story of what turned out to be Springsteen's most well-regarded and breathlessly critically acclaimed album, possibly ever, and that's saying something, uh, wouldn't be complete without some serendipity. As I mentioned earlier, the boss himself carried around the tape of the demos for what, what would become Nebraska in his back pocket, right next to his adorable American red-blooded butt. And it was just, <laughs> it was just sitting there. You know, I'm he was, picturing the cover of Born to Run right that, now. That's it. And you can just picture the tape just <laughs> slipped right in there. Is there a uh, hat or something? In his, I mean, it's something else in his pocket. Yeah, coming. there is a hat. But he's got two pockets. All jeans do. Well, I'm just, I'm, I picture the hat coming out, the tape going in. Yeah, and the big ass American flag right behind him. Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. But his butt is just, there it is. <laughs> uh, so, I presumably he was sitting on it or leaving it to bake in one of his many, many pink Cadillacs. Or letting bandmate Clarence Clemens blow the tape out of his saxophone into the air, and he would catch it, and it was funny. I mean, he could have dropped it in the toilet for all we know. These are like important stereo masters getting lost. This stuff happens all the time, and this one, what if, this I mean, one tape. Question, what if? What if this happened to we, him other times, or to other people lots of other times? You like, got to. You got to wonder. You got to wonder. We're just, you know. Dropped or something, especially you know? after kid, this technology. The kid got it and took all the tape out. Exactly. Know? I mean, especially after this technology became available. Because let me tell you, like 
every single person got themselves a four track recorder after this yeah. happened. They're like, oh, I can make Nebraska too. Um, but the tape did not somehow become lost or destroyed. And uh, Springsteen and Landau listened to it so much and were disenfranchised enough with the band's attempts at some of the songs therein that they looked at each other one day, deep into each other's eyes, and, whis- <laughs> and whispered simultaneously, This is the album. And it, <laughs> and it was. <laughs> so Chaz, before, before uh, I... Before really I uh, Colorful view. I'm really enjoying that scene. Okay. <laughs> really close together. Like, this is the album. Like, their lips almost <laughs> touch a little bit. Um, it looked like they're about to kiss, but somebody comes in and laughs, but I didn't cross them. Clarence yeah. Clemens comes in, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> they're like, we are just talking about Nebraska. What are you doing in the studio, boss? <laughs> he's like, I got it. Clarence, I got it. Uh, so before I go on and tell you a little bit more about the album, um, Chaz, I would love it if you shared your thoughts about it and about Springsteen in general, I guess, uh, with myself and the audience. I'm a little excited to hear uh, what you got to say, because I know that you weren't, I don't think that you've been a, Br- a Bruce Springsteen fan over the years. It's probably one of our most divergent, I love Springsteen, and I don't, mm-hmm. think, I don't think that you love him. I don't think you hate him necessarily, but mm-hmm. w- what do you got for us on that front? Are you are you giving me your uh, your guess? On oh my, yeah, I'm sorry. My rating. I'm sorry. Something? That's true. Okay, so uh, um, you know, like I said, you're you're very far from being a fan of the Boss, and you're not necessarily into folk music or too much into mournful dudes strumming and howling at the moon. Um, <laughs> however, I do like you do love Elliot Smith and <laughs> and Bon Iver, and uh, so like Drake. Uh, this is a pretty idiosyncratic album. And it's very unboss overall, and it's very bleak and daring. Um, that it kind of borders on performance art almost, uh, which I know you're very into. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little like Velvet Undergroundish or something. Like there's something kind of raw about it, um, singular and way ahead of its time. So I think that you've given this a good listen, and it's made you decide to quit your two J jobs as a school technology guru, steal a car, and drive fast down the New Jersey Turnpike while the cops chase you resignedly towards the ocean in your freedom, which of course is a metaphor for your grisly death that was forced on you by society, but you nonetheless felt you deserved all along, and say, what's that playing on your car stereo? It's Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. I predict <laughs> that you give it a 1.0 out of 5. Spe- specifically the first track on Nebraska, <laughs> the title track. Oh is baby, is that bleak. So I listened to this uh, like full blown in depth headphone listen while uh, while going for walks. Mm-hmm. I, went, I went through two times. I'd never listened to this album before. Okay. Um, the only song I'd ever heard before was Atlantic City, which I'm thinking I heard on the radio or something sometime. I, I may have know. put that on a mix CD at some point for you. Yeah, maybe. Love that one. So I had like weird misunderstandings about how this album was made, and I don't know where I got the story from. I'm thinking of a different album entirely. I was convinced that he had holed himself up in an apartment, like by himself for two or three weeks Okay. <laughs> in the middle of the city. And then I, this guy did a different album because the story is so like bright and definite in my brain that it had to have read it about some other album, yeah. famously ripped down album that it was some like famous mus- musician. Yeah. Hold himself in an apartment and recorded like written, wrote and recorded this album all alone in two or three weeks or something like, Oh, interesting. I wonder what I don't that know was. Where I this from. I was convinced it was this. I don't know. You were wrong. Anyway, uh, I listened to it, and my first thought was I noticed right away that it was very lo-fi. Um, you can hear the tape hiss. You know, it, it. My guess was that it was recorded on a four track. I couldn't come up with a song that needed more than four tracks, and I was right. Yeah, yeah, you were. Um, I did pick up on there's some multi-tracked vocals. There's guitars, mostly acoustic guitar and voice and harmonica. 
I did pick up the mandolin and a couple tracks and organ. And I thought it was a xylophone. It turns out it was a glockenspiel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't sound to me like there are any studio overdubs in which you no. indicated there were. There were just not. that. There were not. Though definitely some production work later on. There's a lot of reverb on his vocals. Yes. So they did pick up on that. Um, the It felt much more country than I think of Bruce. You know, you, you okay. mentioned folk, but it felt more country to me than more folk. More country, like, okay. All right. And I think of Bruce Springsteen being, and it didn't sound like what I think of the Bruce Springsteen. Because yeah, I'm not a Bruce, I wouldn't consider myself a Bruce Springsteen fan. I'm not against him. Like, he comes on the radio, I wouldn't turn him off. Okay. But I'm not. I don't own any Bruce Springsteen albums. Um, I've never really gotten into him. But this did sound, the sound of it sounded very different than what I think of. Um, it's obviously much more stripped down. He feels like he's uh, flirting with a southern accent during yeah. a lot of songs. Uh-huh. He does that sometimes. Clearly, <laughs> clearly from New Jersey. I didn't know right? that was something. To... Yeah, it's kind of country. That's the country part, you know. It's very country, yep. Uh, lyrically, it seems to fit with what I know about him. It's a lot of working class American stuff, though the songs get pretty, uh, they have a violent edge. These are desperate songs about desperate people. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's guns, there's robbery, murder, run-ins in the law all over the place. Um, I will submit my least favorite track by a long shot was uh, Highway Patrolman. Your least favorite track? Seems, oh, yeah. Which seems to take this to almost uh, oh, cartoonish extremes. Okay. And the story, if you're not familiar, it's about <laughs> a, the narrator is a cop. Yeah. His brother is no good. Oh, yeah. But, but you know, you gotta you gotta support your family. Yeah, you blood, blood, your family. Is, blood, are, blood is thicker than water. That's right. You got a man who don't support his family, he's no friend of mine. Mm. That's uh he knows stinking good. Quote. Yeah. And so, you know, every once in a while he uh, our narrator has to go take care of some some problem somewhere and it turns out to be his brother and he takes care of it and then eventually his brother shoots someone and our narrator gets called in to take care of it and goes on a high speed chase. But he lets stops and lets him drive. Lets his brother drive into Canada. Sure. Or go. somewhere else. You always take care. No, they specifically say Canada. Oh, they did? They're in, they're in Michigan. Oh. <laughs> specifically say Canada. And now you know more about Nebraska uh, than I do. You've listened to the lyrics to this song, apparently. <laughs> I've listened to this album a hundred it, times. It felt like almost a parody of, the, of country okay. lyrics. That one felt really like... Okay. Over the top to me. All right. Like because over the all the lyrics are solid, even if they're not my thing. Uh, my favorite track, I think, was Atlantic City, which, again, I feel like that must have been a single or something. I've listened to that. I've heard that before. Yeah, it might be the most which, well-known song on there. Yeah, I think it's the well-known, most yeah. well-known song. Yeah. Uh, it feels like only one of about three songs that sound like classic Bruce Springsteen and that sure. sound like they were meant to be played by a full band. The other ones don't feel like, I don't know how you would, mm. you would play most of these songs with a full band. They're just, they don't feel like it. But Atlantic City is one that, that one keeps getting stuck in my head now since then. That feels like it's a big, you know, would benefit from having a full band about it. Um, probably my biggest problem with this is it's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just mm-hmm. not my jam. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's probably a solid album. It's probably a quite good album. I don't have not against it. I think it's pretty solid. I'm not going to listen to it again. Like I won't. Okay. This is the one that's going to stay with me. It's not something that appeals to me that much personally. Um, I'll admit a lot of the, you know, there's about three rockers and the other seven are pretty slower songs, slower. And then those songs, they end up kind of running together a little bit to me, especially in the back half. Um, so I'm, I'm giving it a 0.5. Wow. Okay. I had that. We have, uh, for those at home, we run on a scale of negative five to five. <laughs> right. Negative five being the worst album ever. Five being the best album ever. Woo. I'm putting this one pretty, pretty much in the middle, a little towards the positive okay. side. Okay. All right. All right. Five. So close, close to your guess. Very close. Very close. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, Nebraska is bleak. 
you know, I, I think that bleak. you, it's very bleak. I think dark is the most used word to describe Desperate it. songs about desperate people, Jake. It's very inwardly focused. It generally deals specifically um, with loners, losers, and murderers, as it's Well, the first track is about a mass murderer. Yeah, and that's about uh, a 19-year-old spree killer named Charles Starkweather. A oh, real, a real person? A real guy, who drove around killing people with his 14-year-old girlfriend. Um Back in the, I think it was the 30s, so do not visit this person's Wikipedia page. <laughs> it's very disturbing. Okay. This is a real guy. Um, and I think that, in, and this is how he opens the album, and he is not necessarily unkind or um, mad at this murderous and sociopathic person. He, he kind of tells his story. And I was wondering. He sings if, as him. He sings as him, yeah. and he just, I mean, he sounds like a sociopath, the lyrics and everything like yeah. that. Um, and I'm wondering if you had a problem with songwriters, not just Springsteen, but like songwriters giving voice to this sort of apparent evil and like just sort of putting it out there without necessarily um, I, endorsing it. Obviously, it's not an endorsement. Right. I mean, it changes things slightly to me knowing it's a real. I didn't know it was a true story. I didn't know it was based on anybody. Okay. But it does. It kind of gets in a weird place. Like I'm thinking of uh, Sufjan Stevens' song about Jane Wayne, John right. Wayne Gacy. Good, yeah, good which example. Which seems it comes across as very sympathetic in the end, but it's a very like dark and disturbing song, and he's not for a dark and disturbing person, like a horrible, for a dark and disturbing person, yeah. you know. And it is. It's hard to think about those people being real. Where it's, I know it's easy to think of like a murder mystery, an Agatha Christie novel or something, and you know, take that murder and just like have fun with it. Right. And so there's, we, we, in America, we have a weird relationship with, we do, uh, we do with murders, with murderers as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the album doesn't necessarily stay at that level of depravity for its entirety, <laughs> but it's, but it's not too far off at sometimes. Uh, this next track is Atlantic city featuring a man who does dirty deeds for an unspecified gangster. Cause he's quote, got debts that no honest man can pay. Oh yeah, that's uh, uh, that, that line shows up in another song too. I forgot which one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember either. Uh, Mansion on the Hill narrator gazes at a rich old house and a life that he knows he'll never be a part of. Johnny ninety nine is an unemployed dude who mixes tangerine wine and who, in socioeconomic frustration, kills a guy and has a shootout with the cops. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the most rousing songs on the album musically. <laughs> very, very fun. Unless you're it's one of the three the rockers. Yeah, the real rocker. Uh, Highway Patrolman, which you already um, discussed. Uh, State Trooper, the whole song is a man praying not to get pulled over in a stolen car. In Used Cars, um, one of my favorites on there, um, a child witnesses the abject shame that his father experiences when the only cars he can afford are over and over again dumpy old used ones. And uh, I'm only half joking when I say that this song speaks to me, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have dumpy old. Yeah, you personally have dumpy. I do. I do. I guess. Like I was thinking, like us as kids, we didn't. Have oh dumpy no, no, not us. Cars. I mean, me now. I'm thinking. We have like, quite respectable used cars. You know, one, uh, one. An occasional new car. <laughs> yeah, not me. Not me. For whatever oh, reason. No. Um, Open all night is the only other contender for rousing a song on the album, which is a inexplicable to me kind of Chuck Berry rock jam about a man who goes out looking. <laughs> for a slightly better form of trouble than murder, like driving and meeting chicks, maybe, you know, something fun like that. And wait a minute, <laughs> this song doesn't belong in Nebraska. Let's get the E Street Band in here. We need to put this on board in the USA. And then uh, My Father's House is a dreamlike reflection on the boss's dad dying, and that's actually a personally um, expressive song for him. And then finally, Reason to Believe, which I think is a perfect album closer, um, that openly wonders what the heck people do all this for. All the stuff that he just narrated for the last, um, you know, 38 minutes or whatever. All this pain and frustration and hard luck. Um, but he says, quote, at the end of every hard-earned day, people find some reason to believe. End quote. 
Um, so to me, the, the album is extremely enjoyable, despite its bleakness. It has kind of a dusty late night quality. It's bleary. It's quiet. It's a wash and reverb, as you said, and it's extremely simple musically. Uh, most songs having about three chords. Um, but have these almost improvised sounding sounds in the margins that we've kind of talked about, you know, chimings and mournful howling from Springsteen. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the bit that actually impresses me about this one night recording session that he had, because he didn't just sit down and play 15 songs in a row, you know, and do them all perfectly. Like that could take you, you know, that could take you a couple hours, but he uh -huh. actually, he actually took the time to, you know, get all these instruments out. And I'm a home recording um, person as well. So it's sort of, yeah sort of realize what this would take. You get all this out, you know, you have to put a mic on there, you have to do all the levels and all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, he actually he actually fleshed these these things out. So um, there's a whole other world of the conversation here just explaining how they went from these amateur four-track recordings directly onto a cassette tape, a technology that wasn't great then, um, to a major label release-ready product. Um, so there was some tape transfer horror stories Apparently they had trouble getting it onto a master vinyl acetate. Um, Springsteen wasn't watching his levels or anything when he was singing into the mic, so you can hear popping and overdrive um, even on the final masters when he sings mm -hmm. peas and stuff like that. That's like a recording. Well, I mean, each song starts with some tape hiss. Like, right. it's there. It's there. And then he's singing cl too close to the microphone, but he wasn't trying mm -hmm. to be in the studio, so mm -hmm. he's like an engineer's nightmare, you know, a, a, a music engineer's nightmare. Um, but I think that that actually adds to the feel of it. Um, like it came from someone's old vinyl collection mm -hmm. or an amateur musician you never heard of that died too soon, but they finally got their due. Um, yeah, no, I, I actually enjoyed that. I thought that like, gave it more feel. I like, I like that feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically like a murderous version of Iron and Wine's first album. <laughs> yeah, well, that was his first album and it launched a successful career that's still going strong. Um, and I, and I do wonder if it wasn't Springsteen, if something like this ever would have been discovered or appreciated, or if something like that is out there, like this good, you know, Springsteen was pretty far along in his Bon Iver. There it, well, there it is. Yeah. Maybe that's mm -hmm. it. Maybe that's it. But for every Bon Iver, there's, you know, probably a hundred more that, yeah, we never heard of and never will. Yeah. Um, either way, this model of interrupting a burgeoning superstardom with a quiet murder ballad album wasn't exactly done back then. Like, I don't think... It, springs, it only spoke to Springsteen's celebrity and, and sway within his record label that they even put it out at all. At all. Um, and it comes, uh, you know, it, it comes off these days as being calculated. Like, here's my Nebraska. I just recorded it late night, man. Watch uh -huh. this. Um, but Taylor I, Swift. But I, <laughs> alone in the woods, that Taylor, you know, <laughs> swimming in a pile of money. Uh, but And oddly, for Springsteen, this might be his greatest imprint on rock and roll history. Um, other than maybe Born to Run. I don't know how you feel about that as being a non-Springsteen fan, but like Nebraska is... No, I mean, I like some of the songs, but I don't, you know, I don't know the album front to back. I think Nebraska is probably every cool person's favorite Springsteen album. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're cool, you like Nebraska, right. yeah. Right, right. Um, the critics if you're kind like, of in the middle, you like Born to Run, and if you're not right. really... Anyway, if, you're just, if, you're, if you're a populist, Born to Run, for sure. Born uh, in the USA, no, I mean, that's the... Oh, that's Born the in the USA, that's the populist, yeah. But if you're like... If you're if you're a rocker, uh, born to run. If you're a cool guy, Nebraska. Pretentious. Pretentious cool guy, Nebraska. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't have to be pretentious to be cool, Chaz. <laughs> it helps though. <laughs> it does help. <laughs> Only if you're cool to yourself, though. Uh, so I'll just not get too much into what critics thought of this because the overall breathless nature of the criticism is like unrelentingly positive, especially as the years wear on. 
but I do want to I do want to shout out two sources of criticism. Uh, Q Magazine, which gave it a two out of five at the time, and said all of these songs would have been better with the E Street Band behind them. And it apparently never re-critiqued it like Rolling Stone always be doing. So this unfavorable <laughs> review just sits there on Wikipedia forever and ever, which I kind of enjoy. It's just sitting there along outside all the five out of fives and ten out of ten uh-huh. and stuff like that. So what a flex. Thanks, Q Magazine. Um, and then Tom Morello, the uh, erstwhile member of Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave and a, uh, an actual freedom fighter and activist. Um, he, I read an interview with him long ago when I was into like Guitar World magazine. And he said, amongst the punks and hardcore rockers, um, Nebraska crossed over in a way that no other Springsteen um, album ever did. So it's got, some, uh, it's got some street cred with the rockers. Everyone Whoa, thought it was man. really cool and tough, you know, and like, this is the real stuff. It's hardcore, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so um, I have very few complaints, personally, about it. Um, I've said plenty about it. It's magnificent and trailblazing story, if not equal achievement musically. Um, it hits me in almost all of my right buttons. I love the boss. I think of him as a real-life Rocky whose movies are instead rock and roll albums, each with a specific plot line and universal metaphor to share with everyone. <laughs> and I appreciate murder ballads, NUE, acoustic guitars, and simple melodies, and almost a little too much reverb, but not quite. Um, the only negative thing I'll say is that the song Open All Night doesn't really belong. Um, but even then, um, that's the Chuck Berry rocker. But even then, yeah. it's kind of a breath of fresh air. And it, it does come in the right sequence on the, on the otherwise dour proceedings. Like You need, you, you, need, you needed another, you needed a rock You did, you did. If he had just made it about, you know, killing a guy, I would have been like, sure. <laughs> Put it on there, like all the other ones. Um, and then add that to the cover artwork, which is just, it's classic. It matches the mood of the music to a T. It's a black and white view through the front window of a car onto kind of a, that, you know, spring, melty, snowy, like totally depressing Midwest uh, landscape. Um, and it's it's definitely Nebraska. It can only be Nebraska. It looks desolate. And it has the this bloody red font spelling the name in, in, in this nice, uh, in this cool font. So it's extremely cool. It's a little sinister. I find the whole package almost perfect. And so I give it a 4.5 out of a possible five. Love Nebraska. I was, I thought it's one of those albums that you discover. And even though everybody in the whole world already knew it was cool, like you feel Mm -hmm. cool. You're like, what Nebraska? I love it. You know, it's like, where did this come from? Yeah, it didn't, that didn't happen to me. I'm sorry. That's okay. You don't have to apologize to me. Apologize to yourself. <laughs> no, I will not. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, with that, uh, I want to kick us off, just give it a little uh, sneak preview of the next episode. We'll be shifting to a new uh, theme for next episode. Right on. We're looking at gateway albums. And by gateway albums, we mean albums that personally brought us into a whole new section of music so maybe a new genre of music maybe a new style of music or lyrically or whatever that might mean and to top things off to make things extra special we're featuring a guest <gasps> a, a guest? guest host a guest host along with the two of us who could it be and it's uh, a person you know that is one of the greatest people that has ever lived is it bruce know? springsteen it's not bruce springsteen. is it elton john better better <gasps> the guest is our mother, oh, Nancy Beck. Nancy. Nancy. I know. Maybe a little bit of a, uh, a letdown for some of the listeners out there. But <laughs> our mother's a huge fan of our former podcast, Boy vs. Dylan, and yeah. has been dying to come on and talk about her own love of music, um, which her and her father helped to inspire our own loves of music. Absolutely. So she will be coming on and giving us a good and long look 
at Emmy Lou Harris's 1976 album Luxury Liner. Right on. So we'll see you next time on Louder Than Sound.